I did something last week that I've never done before. Uh, I start, I, last week I taught 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Well, the problem with that was I never taught 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. I just skipped over it. I don't know what happened. I thought I, thought I had covered it, I guess. And I, don't, I, I don't know really why. And, and several of you came over to me after church and said, hey, what happened to the rest of 2 Timothy? I said, ah, I just didn't want to teach it. Nah, I don't, I don't like that section. No, no. Um, honestly, all I can figure is, is whoever, maybe there was somebody here last week that needed to hear 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, or, or perhaps there's somebody here this week that wasn't here last week that needs to hear this study. Whatever the case is, for whatever reason, as I was studying and preparing, God just brought me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I got ahead of myself by a couple of weeks, actually. So this morning, we're going to look at verses uh, 14 through about 19, then next week we'll look at the rest of uh, chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. So we've done chapter 3, part of it, and we're going to kind of backtrack a little bit. It's my fault, but the Lord's in, ultimately the one in charge, and uh, I'm sure he had a plan for what he's doing. All right. By way of review, 2 Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, it is written to his young friend, his young protege in the faith, Timothy. Paul has been arrested in Rome. He's in chains. He's only a few, perhaps weeks, days, even months away from his death. It's coming quickly. Timothy is still out free. He was put in charge of some of the churches in Ephesus. He's still sharing the gospel. And being a younger man in the faith, being a little bit timid from prison, Paul writes this letter of encouragement, and he wants to just encourage Timothy to keep sharing the gospel. You know, the church is facing uh, persecution like many of us have never, never felt. Many of us have never actually been persecuted for our faith, other than maybe somebody laughing at us, somebody making fun of us, somebody having something negative to say. But you see, the church, and when, when we talk about the South Sudan, and when we talk about uh, some of the things going on over in, in Iran and some of the other countries, the Muslim countries, there's major serious persecution that's still going on today. And at this time, Caesar Nero was in power and the Christians were literally being killed for their faith. It, it was a major time of persecution and Paul is really trying to encourage Timothy. This is going to be the last letter that he writes to Timothy and he really wants to encourage him about how he should be living his life, where the focus of his ministry should be and what he should be doing. So far in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, Paul's told Timothy these things. He said in verse 1, be strong. Be strong, not in physical strength, but he says, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He said, Timothy, it's important that you continue on in the grace of Jesus. And they also said, commit the things that you've heard to me to faithful men, Timothy. Take the things I've taught you, and I want you to teach them to other faithful men who will then continue on, who will continue teaching them. But he also told Timothy, hey, Timothy, you're going to have to endure hardship. You're to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And he also said, remember, Timothy, remember this. It's important that Jesus Christ is from the seed of David and he was raised from the dead. And Paul also went on to say, the word of God is not chained. He said, although I am in chains, the word of God is not chained. Instead, it's, it's free. It's ne it can never be bound. And the last thing he said before we come to our scripture this morning in verse 14, he said this, for if we died with him, and that's meaning Christ, we shall also live with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Isn't it great that God remains faithful even if we are faithless? It doesn't matter what your faith is. It matters that he remains faithful to you. It doesn't matter that you can fall short. He remains faithful to his word. He cannot deny himself. And today, this morning in our study, we're going to see Paul give Timothy three more commands. Three more very specific things as we look down at verses 14 through 19 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. He's going to basically, I'm going to summarize it for you. He's basically going to tell Timothy, number one, don't argue over stupid things. 
Don't argue over stupid things. Number two, he's going to say, present yourself to God as a worker who is unashamed, who is not ashamed of the way that they've been living their life. And number three, he's going to say, don't get involved with empty chatter because it will bring ungodliness into your life. In other words, useless talking, no, just senseless words, empty chatter. Don't get involved with that. Now let's look down and read these verses together. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Then we'll go back and we'll look at them in a little more depth. Verse 14, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message, it'll spread like cancer. Hymenaeus, Philetus are of this sort. They've strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Paul starts out, he says in verse 14, he says, remind them of these things. Timothy, I want you to remind them of the, what things is he talking about? What things are they to be reminded of? The things, the list that we just covered, the list that everything he's covered previously in the chapter, especially those things what we just read about, uh, if we lived with him, uh, if, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. He's reminding remind them of those things, Timothy. Remind them of the important things. Everything that has been discussed at this point, including this previous section. Remind them, Timothy, that Jesus died and rose again. This is a rather interesting from Paul who was well-educated, he's well-spoken, but he's really kind of reminding us, hey, Timothy, go back to the basics of the gospel. Go back and keep it simple. Paul had a great education behind him. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was really knowledgeable. He could speak philosophically with the best of them. He did so in Greece. But what he's really getting back to Timothy is, Timothy, forget all of the nonsense, all the chatter, all the clutter that's going on, and focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus died and was resurrected. Focus on these things. He also tells Timothy, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. He says, Timothy, I want you to charge them, command them. These are the men that he's raising up. These are the people that he's overseeing. I want you to charge them before the Lord. That, that denotes the seriousness. Charge them before God. And here's what I want you to charge them, Timothy. You go before God and you tell them this. Do not strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. And that word for strive, what it means, it means to do battle. It means to argue. It means to fight. It means to, to battle back and forth. It means to quarrel about words and, it mean, and meanings. In other words, what he's saying is, Timothy, you need to tell them not to get distracted with useless conversations and arguments with words that there's no profit in what you're even arguing about. You ever seen that happen between two believers? They're fighting over something. They're arguing. They're back and forth. And one wants to be right. The other wants to be right. And they're going back and forth. And what they're arguing about really doesn't matter. It really doesn't make a difference when it comes to salvation. It's just something that's, that's, that they want to be right about. And the argument, what happens to it? It turns into personal. And you begin to point fingers and voices begin to get raised. It's interesting to me that sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll research different subjects. And I like to get online and watch. And you can get on these, these forums where people post their opinions and what they're thinking. And you can read some of these Christian forums. And you know what it sounds like? You wouldn't even know they're Christian the way they're talking to one another. They're just pointing fingers at each other. And they're, I mean, if they're all caps are like screaming at each other. 
I'm thinking, is this really the way that the Christians should be acting? Paul's telling Timothy, listen, don't do it. Strive, do not strive about words to no profit. There's no profit in what you're talking about. One commentator put it this way, Adam Clark. He said, we can get distracted by endless discussions or strife over things that don't have central importance. He said, words, not things, have been most fruitful source of contention in the Christian world. Words, the things we're talking about. And among religious people, the principal cause of animosity has arisen from the different manner of apprehending the same term, while in essence, both meant the same thing. Here's what he's saying. Oftentimes, two people are arguing, and they both believe the same thing. They're just using two different terms. You ever had that happen? Where you actually get into a discussion with somebody, you get into a debate with somebody, and you start sharing, this is what I believe. And they start saying, well, no, this is what I believe. And you're going back and forth, and you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. We believe the same thing. We're just, we've just assigned terms, different meanings. I've learned very carefully when someone says to me or they ask me a question, hey, do you believe in, uh, uh, do you believe in the doctrine of sanctification? I will first ask them to define that for me. People will say, are you Pentecostal? Well, I don't know. What does Pentecostal mean to you? I will ask people, define the words that you're asking me if I am. Because I've found that I might think, in my mind, the word means one thing. And they might think in their mind the word means something else. And when we all get done, yeah, we, mean this, we believe the same thing. We're just calling it something different. And it could also go the other way. They could mean something in my mind. They could mean something totally different in their mind than what it means in my mind. I say, yes, it means exactly. That's, that's what I am. But I'm really not that. So I've learned to make sure we ask people what we're talking about. John Calvin went on to say, God's purpose is not to pander to our inquisitiveness, but to give us profitable instruction. God's purpose, God's word, is to give us instruction. It's not to, to pander our inquisitive. It's not to make us smarter. It's not for us to debate. It's not for us to, you know, constantly be. It's, it's to, when you come to the word of God, is it with the idea that I want to be instructed? I want to learn something. I want to know, how should I live my life? What things can I learn this morning from the word of God? He said, away with all speculations that produce no edification. Get rid of all speculation about God's word that produces no edification in somebody's life. People, scholars, sometimes will spend hours, days, lifetimes discussing some minute point in the scriptures that, you know what, there's no proof whether which side is right. It's just a matter of speculation. And he would say, get, get rid of the speculation. Let's get into edification. Let's give me the stuff that's going to build me up. Give me the stuff that's going to strengthen me. I don't need to argue about it. I want to come to the word of God and be strengthened. If we take the focus off of God and we place it on human wisdom and understanding, it will result in the ruin of believers. That's what this section said. That's what Paul said to Timothy. The ruin, the result of serious harm with the implication of misleading. If we go to God's word and we take the focus off of God and we begin to put it on human wisdom, we're going to actually shipwreck people's faith because we're going to have people following. Here's the problem. Here's what happens. If I was to sit and give you some philosophical reasons and I didn't teach the scriptures exactly the way they come across, I would develop followers of me. You would be a follower of my logic. You would be a follower of my reasoning. Don't ever follow a person. Don't ever follow a man. Follow the word of God. Go to the word of God and make sure what I'm saying is correct. And if I say something wrong and you come to me and say, listen, the Bible says this and you said it's wrong, I'll change what I believe. Don't bring me somebody's book about it. I don't, want somebody, I don't want to hear what somebody else's opinion is, but if, you can, if anything I ever say that you say, no, that's not what the Bible says, I will change what I believe in a heartbeat. It's my desire to be an aligned with exactly what the Word of God says. Not with what some other pastor says, but with what the Bible says. And what Timothy's saying, charge them before the Lord not to strive about words of no profit. 
Now, I want to caution you. There's a difference between discussing different beliefs and what he's talking about, about arguing about words with no profit. There's a difference between having a conversation with somebody that might believe a little bit different doctrinally than you do and discussing why do you believe what you believe. Let me tell you why I believe what I believe. He's not saying don't do that. But when that discussion turns into a heated argument or a personal attack or the voices begin to raise, then it's time to stop that. Then it's time to stop that discussion. It's no longer a discussion that becomes an argument. And, Tim, and Paul is warning Timothy of this. Why? Because he realizes it happens in the churches. He realizes it happens in Christianity. He realizes Timothy can get sucked into this just like we can. And he says, hey, I don't want you to do that. Look at verse 15. Paul says, be diligent. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul was reminding Timothy that his goal was to present himself approved to God, not approved towards the people. Notice what he says, be diligent, work hard at, let that be at the forefront of your thoughts, work, work consistently at, to present yourself approved to God. Here's what I've come to learn. I don't even know as Christians that a lot of us even present ourselves to God at all. I think sometimes we just want God to do what we want him to do. God, fix this. God, make this go away. God, get me this. God, heal me. God, do this. God, do that. When's the last time that we woke up in the morning and we said, God, here I am today and I'm yours. What do you want to do with my day? What do you want to do with my life today? Is there, any, is there anybody I can call and minister to? Is there anything that you'd like me to do? Is there any, but, but that's not how we operate, is it? So often we go to God when we need him. We go to God when things are falling apart. We never actually present ourselves. But Paul's taking it a step further. He's assuming Timothy is presenting himself to God. Are you presenting yourself to God? Try it sometime. Try to wake up tomorrow morning, Monday morning, your first day of the week, and say, Lord, here I am. How can I minister for you today? What can I do for you today? Not, not asking him, telling him what you want him to do for you. What can I do for you, Lord? And here's what Paul goes on to say. Present yourself approved approved to God. Shouldn't this be our goal as well? Sometimes in our culture, we get stuck worrying about what everybody else thinks about us. We get stuck worrying about what our neighbors think, what our family thinks, what our friends think, what the church members think, what happens in, what are the, what's the church going to think of me? Who, all this other stuff. Did you ever consider what God thinks of you? Can you present yourself approved to God? Can you look and present yourself, Lord, here I am to do your work and I'm, I, I can be approved, which means I'm ready, I'm available to be used by you. I'm approved to God. Notice it call, he calls it a worker. Do you see yourself as a worker of God or do you see yourself as the boss of God? You see, sometimes we get that backwards. Sometimes God becomes sort of this genie in the bottle and we, again, we just tell him what we want him to do. Fix this, get me out of this situation, take this away, solve this problem. Lord, I don't want to feel this. Handle this, Lord, for me. That's not what a worker does. A worker doesn't tell a boss what to do. What does the worker do? Here I am. What can I do for you today? What do you need done? How can I, how can I help you? What, what, what's the job at hand? What's the task that you've called me to today? You see, sometimes we get that role mixed up, and it's always good to go back and remind ourselves. It should be our goal that we present ourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed you see, sometimes some of us, sit, as we sit here this morning, if we were to present ourselves to God, we would be ashamed of what we're presenting. 
You see, we'd be filled with stuff of the world. We'd be filled with sin. We'd be filled with stuff that needs to be taken care of. We'd be filled. Maybe we've, we've slipped away. Maybe we've said things, done things, thought things, been, been places, all these things that are, fill up our life. And you say, Rob, right now, present yourself to God. You go, no, I can't do that. That's because you need to be washed with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's because you need to be forgiven for your sin. That's because you need to repent first and go away from it. Present yourself as an approved worker. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. How is Timothy supposed to be seen before God? Paul tells him to see himself as this worker. A worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. A worker is simply one who works for God. One who does the work of the Lord. A worker of God is one who works for God. This is the person, this is you and I, when we come to the realization that it's not about me. That my life here on this earth is not all about me. It's about who? It's about the Lord. That we were created for his good purpose. It's when we come to the realization that says, I'm going to lay aside my sin and I'm going to present myself unashamed to God and allow him to be able to fill me and to use me. I'm going to align with what God's word says is right, not what I think is right. I'm going to do what God's word said. I'm going to do it his way and not my way. It's placing yourself under the authority of God. In speaking... To wives, husbands, children, fathers, and employees, Paul says it, it, says it this way in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 through 24. He says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. The idea here, the implication is that we as Christians, Timothy certainly as a pastor, we as Christians need to present ourselves to the Lord. And we need to understand that he is, he is not an earthly boss that's going to take advantage of us. Instead, he's going to re- reward us rightly. He's going to reward us someday for the things that we're doing for, us, for him. He's not going to use us. He's not trying to get something out of us. It's, it's not like he's trying to, well, I want to use Rob's life, but gee, he won't give it to me. No, no, it's better for me if I give my life to him. It's better for you if you give your life to the Lord. Trust me. Ask somebody that's been following the Lord for a long time and ask if they want to go back to the way that they were. Most people who come to the Lord with the, with the understanding that he is now over top of me, I want no part of my old life. Even though it might creep in and temptations might come up from time to time, I realize where it led me. I realize what brought me to the Lord. And hopefully you're the same way. And hopefully you're not still living in that Christian life, living that Christian life, still living the old life. Hopefully you've come out of that. But he also says to Timothy here, he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. And look what he says, one who is rightly dividing the word of truth. What's that mean? What's that mean? Well, the word of truth, that's the word of God. This is a pastor's focus, or it should be, to rightly explain, rightly teach, rightly interpret, rightly understand the word of God. It also should be yours. If there's a right way, does that also tell us there's a wrong way? It can be wrongly interpreted. It can be wrongly understood. The implication is that we should know what the Bible says and what it doesn't say. Is there, is there a possibility that somebody could interpret the Bible, the Scriptures, wrongly? Of course there is. How do you know they've interpreted it wrongly if they're telling you about it? Hopefully you know the Bible better than they do or you've read the Bible. Hopefully they're teaching in a way where you can go, wait a minute, that's not exactly what it says. Part of the reason that we teach the scripture the way we do, verse by verse, line upon line, is if you can look and you can see exactly where I'm teaching, except for last week, you knew where I was going to be. Sometimes that happens. But have you ever heard anybody misrepresent scripture? You ever heard anybody, they'll, they'll say a Bible verse and they'll say half of it, or they won't give you the context of it. Doesn't that happen a lot? 
I, I, it happens to me, the one that came to mind was uh, as I was preparing for the study, maybe you've heard this scripture. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. You ever heard that scripture? It's you, people, it's usually spoken in the context of prayer, right? Where two or three people are gathered, they're praying together. That scripture has nothing to do with prayer. If you go back and you look at Matthew 18, what you'll find is it has to do with church discipline. It has to do with somebody who's wronged somebody else in the church. The scripture will tell them, you go meet them individually. If they won't receive that, then you bring two or three people with you, two or three leaders in the church that can come alongside of you and say, yes, you've been wronged in the church. And then if they still won't read that, you bring them in front of the, in front of the body of Christ. And then this verse follows and says, it's basically saying this, listen, when two or three believers are judging a situation, if they're really seeking God, then I am with them in the midst. Now you say, wait a minute, I've always heard that in prayer. Is it, is, is it wrong to say that when two or three are gathered in prayer, that Jesus is with us? Not at all. Is that, is that a true statement? Sure it is. But what if there's only one of us praying? He's still with us, right? It's not, we don't have to have two. It can be just one. That's an area of scripture that's commonly misrepresented. Let me give you one more that I hear all the time. What about this? And we know that all things work together for good, right? Maybe somebody's going through a hard time and, you know, it's okay. All things work. The Bible says all things work together for good. Don't worry. You're going to get through this. It's okay. Everything works together for good and something's happening. Do you know the rest of that verse? Let me read it to you. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. To someone who loves the Lord, you can be sure the thing that's happening in your life is working together for the good of you. But if you're ministering to somebody who doesn't believe, can you really say to them, all things are working together for good? You really can't make that. That's not what the Bible is referring to. You have to make sure you state it in context. Hopefully, as believers, we take the time to read, study, learn the Bible. So when somebody says something that doesn't quite add up, we can go, wait a minute. That doesn't sound right. That doesn't make sense. Hopefully, we can go back and look and say, you know what? There's going to be differences of opinions in Scripture. They're, they're, that's, just, that's why we have different denominations and different churches. And that's okay. But when someone says something wrong, blatantly against what the Bible says, we should be able to go back and go, wait a minute. That's not what the Bible says. I would encourage you that if someone's sharing something with you about the Bible and it doesn't sound right to you, just ask them for a reference and then go look it up. Hey, where, where is that in the Bible? Oh, I don't know where it's at. <laughs> if you don't know where it's at, then why are you quoting it? You, know, you should at least be able to find it for me. Maybe you don't have it memorized, but you should be able, well, I heard this. I heard that. Well, and that just kind of blew their whole argument out of the water. Don't be afraid to say to somebody, hey, listen, we have a responsibility to rightly divide the word of truth. If I got up here and only taught you have truth, you guys wouldn't be sitting here, hopefully. Hopefully, if, you, if I was to teach you, you know, just we're going to skip chapter two. I don't really like that chapter. I know I missed it last week. Ah, we don't really need to hear it. No, hopefully you've sat, sat here long. I want to hear the rest of the, I don't want you to skip part of Timothy. You know, in teaching it that way, there's parts of the Bible I would like to skip. Not because I don't want them to teach them. They're hard to teach. Sometimes you come across scriptures that are really hard to teach. And sometimes I really would rather just go, you know what? I don't want to teach that this week. But I understand that it's the full counsel of God. And if you want to hear the full counsel of God, I have to teach the full counsel of God. Jordan last week went off to Bible college. He's not quite there yet. He's stopping along the way. He's going to, do, he's going to, uh, to learn the word of God in Bible college. You know, that's what you're doing right here. If you sit here long enough, you'll, he you'll hear me teach all the way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You'll have been to Bible college. It's the same, it's the same thing. It's the same process. And what are you going to do when you're done, Rob? I'm going to start over because I will have forgotten everything I started with. And we can learn it all over again together. Because there's no way that I could possibly remember everything that I teach through here. 
But it's the same thing. You're getting educated. You're learning about the word of God. And Paul's telling Timothy, you have an obligation to rightly divide it. You have an obligation to make sure you're not misrepresenting God. Make sure you're not doing it improperly. And then in verse 16, he says this. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Shun means to turn around, to avoid, to keep yourself from being involved in. Now you say, isn't that what he said in the first verse back up in 14? No, that was talking about arguments. That was talking about fighting amongst believers. That was talking about bantering back and forth. This one just says, shun profane and idle babblings. Profane means ungodly. Idle babblings, it literally means empty chatter. It's just, it's just talking for the sake of talking. They just, 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 just arguing, what if this happened? It's, it's like playing the what if game. Well, what if this happened? And what if that happened? And what if this happened? And what if that happened? Sometimes my kids, they'll just start talking in the backseat of the car. And they're bantering back and forth about stuff. And one's getting mad at the other. And they're just, they're just going back and forth about this stuff. that Who cares? It doesn't mean anything. And before you know it, there's a fight going on in the backseat. Paul's saying, Timothy, stop it. Get away from Chun. Chun, get away from these ungodly, from this empty chatter. Well, what is it? What exactly is it? Anything that takes the focus off God's word and places it on someone or something else. That's what it is. When you're talking about the word of God, keep the focus on God and on the word of God. Not on somebody's opinion of the word of God. Not on somebody's interpretation of the word of God. That, that's kind of the way it goes, right? Oh, it's my interpretation. No, there's one interpretation. It's, it's rightly dividing the word of God. We all don't get to pick and choose our own interpretation of it. Man's opinions, man's teachings, man's polls, man's stories, man's programs are all profane. And I, Talk shows. You ever listen to a talk show? And you, you hear him talk about what? Nothing. I, I, I'm a sports fan, football fan. I watch ESPN. This time of the year when there's no football going on, these guys get on there and they talk about nothing. They're trying to predict the draft. None of them are even close. They're trying to, it doesn't matter what, the, it's like, it's not even in season. And they're on there talking and, and people are tuning in listening. But they've got nothing to say of any value. Just profane, idle babblings. Just going on and on and on. Oprah, The View, you name it, whatever the talk shows are, here it is. You know, just, what's the purpose in it? It's my opinion. Who cares what your opinion is? You know, focus on the word of God. And Paul's telling Timothy, he says, listen. You're leading these people. You need to be focused on this. He's, he's, he's directing it to Timothy first. By focusing on the word of God, it's going to bring people closer to God. It's going to give them more understanding, not bring them further apart. Notice what he says if you're focusing on profane and idle babblings. What does he say? It will increase to more ungodliness. You think that's true? Well, of course it's true because the Bible says so. But what would happen if you decided that this week... Uh, what's a popular talk? Is, is The View still on? I don't know if it's still on. Is The View, the, the ladies' talk show, is that still on? I don't know if it still is. What if you decided this week, I'm going to watch that show every day this week? I'm, I'm not going to read the Bible. I'm just going to watch The View. What do you think that would do to your mindset for the rest of the week, for the rest of the day? Do you think it would have an impact on you? Sure it would. It would have a negative impact. What if we put away all that junk and we said, instead of doing that, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to focus on the Word of God. Do you think that would have an impact on you? What we're going to find next week is we're vessels. And what we pour into us is what comes out of us. That'll be next week's study. But here's what we see is Paul's telling Timothy, these profane and idle babblings, it will increase to more ungodliness. Do you want to become more godly or less godly? If you want to be more godly, get rid of the profane and idle babblings, the vain babblings, this emptiness, this talking. And then he points out who? Look what he says. 
and their message will spread like cancer. Verse 17, Hymenaeus, Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Paul's not afraid. He said, listen, these profane and idle babblings, it's going to turn into cancer. It's going to spread like cancer. It's going to be popular. It's going to spread quickly. We would call that in our culture, it's going to go viral. It's going to, it's going to be all over the internet. You're going to see it. And he says, but it's like a cancer. It's going to destroy you. And the definition of, they didn't have the word cancer. That's our English word. It means this, a disease involving severe inflammation and possibly a spread of ulcers which eat away at the flesh and bones. So it's a disease that's going to be inflamed. It's going to make your life irritating. It's going to eat away at your life. It's going to, it's going to literally destroy your life from within. That's what he's talking about. And then he even lists the people. Oh, Paul, isn't that judging somebody? Paul says, no, I want you to be aware who's doing this. I want you to know who these people are. And he says, Hymenaeus, that's the second time. He mentioned him earlier in 1 Timothy. What did he say about him in 1 Timothy? I've turned him over to Satan. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, Paul said, I already turned Hymenaeus over to Satan. He's already gone astray. Apparently, he's still doing what he's doing as he writes 2 Timothy. I've already turned him over to Satan. He also mentions Philetus. That's the only mention of Philetus in the Bible. How'd you like that, that uh, legacy? I'm in the Bible. Yeah, but I was, I was with Hymenaeus. I was, I was used as an example of what not to do. It says they had a, Paul's telling us they had a message of profane and idle babblings. It spread quickly. It was popular. People were probably following him. But what was it that they were teaching? What were they teaching that was so wrong? They taught the resurrection is already past. They taught that the millennium had already come. The dead were already, were already done. If, if you missed it, they were telling people you missed it, basically. You've missed it. Not the resurrection from the cross, but the second coming. It seems as they were teaching the resurrection, the dead had already passed. They were already in God's millennial kingdom. It was probably not the only error they were teaching. It's just the one that Paul points out to us. Many people today accept and they honor teachers who are way off in one area of their doctrine, way off in one area of their belief. And they usually justify it in some way. Oh, that's just that part. That's just that one thing. And they, I've even heard this said, I eat the meat and I spit out the bones. I just eat the meat and I spit out the bones. And I would say this to you, be careful you don't choke on those bones. Because we all know what it's like to choke on a bone. And we all know that it'll bring, it can actually bring spiritual death to you if you're not careful. So be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you watch on TV, even when it comes to your scriptures. I am not the only Bible teacher you should listen to. You should listen to find other Bible teachers that you like to listen to as well. Listen to the radio station during the week. There's lots of them on there. Don't listen to only Calvary Chapel teachers. Listen to other people that are, that are out there that can share with you the word of God. But compare what they're saying to what the word says. Are they drawing you closer to God or are they enraging you about something? Are they, are, is your walk with God increasing because of what they're teaching and because of the way you're responding? Or is it bringing sort of a division or a, or, or a misunderstanding or is it bringing you farther away from God? That's what you should be asking yourself when you listen to a Bible study. Did I get closer to God? Did I learn something? And you can see as Timothy would study this and read this, he's got these three things. It can almost be like overwhelming to Timothy, right? Oh, gee, Paul, all you do is this letter, you just keep telling me this thing after another. But look what Paul says in verse 19. He says, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, who, who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Even though there's false teachers, Timothy, even though there's a lot put on your shoulders, even though there's a lot to learn, a lot to know, he said, I want you to remember something. The solid foundation of God stands. God's existence, God's, people knowing God doesn't depend on you, Timothy. It depends on God. 
God is the one. He is still going to be there. As a matter of fact, it's sealed with these two things. Number one, the Lord knows who are his. Isn't that great? The Lord knows who are his. No matter what happens, the Lord knows who are his. If false false teachers sweep through, they become popular, the Lord knows who are his. If profane and idle babbling sweep through a church, the Lord knows those that belong to him. If there's a division in a church device, the Lord knows who are his. If some have even had their faith overthrown, the Lord knows who belonged to him. The real question is, can you say if you belong to the Lord? You see, the Lord knows if you belong to him or not, but the question that lies is, do I belong to the Lord? Do you, know, do you belong to the Lord? And the, the natural question that comes is, Rob, can you really know that? Can I really know that I belong to the Lord and that I'm saved? Can I, can I really be sure of that? And the answer to that question is, yes, you can. The Apostle Paul would say in his letter, letter to the Romans, he says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are children of God. You know that. And if you're a child and an heir and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. You see, as we sit here this morning, you know if you're saved or you're not saved. You know if you're a child of God. It's, it's like it, it's, I've, I've often likened it to, do you know if, you're, if you have a cold? Do you know if you have the flu? Of course I know if I have the flu. How do you know? Well, you're sick. You don't feel good. You have a runny nose. You're achy. You have a fever. There's symptoms that go along with that. Same thing with the Lord. If you belong to the Lord, there's symptoms in your life, and he gives you one of them right here. He says, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Let those who are calling on Christ depart from the sin in your life. Depart means to leave it behind, to, to forget about it, to stop doing it, get away from it. it you know, Rob, but what if I mess up once in a while? That's okay, that's what grace is for. But he's saying, where is, where is your heart going? Are, 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 you a, are you a person who says, I, I don't want to do that anymore? Or are we people that say, well, I, I can do both. I can go to church on Sunday, and, and I, can, I can still have just, just a few little sins in my life. See, I don't know about you, but my heart is, I don't want any sin in my life. I see the damage that sin has caused in my life already, and I want it all gone. I, unfortunately, I can't stand here today and say, well, it is all gone. It will be all gone someday when I'm face-to-face with the Lord Jesus Christ. But while I'm here, while you're here, we still have sin in our life. And we have the grace and the forgiveness that we need to navigate through this life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that we have that grace and thank you that we have that forgiveness. So the Apostle Paul, in this section, in these couple of verses that we covered here this morning, he's telling Timothy these things, and and again, just to kind of sum it up, he's basically saying, listen, don't argue over these dumb things. Really, let's be careful of the arguments that we get in with with one another. And he also says to Timothy, Timothy, you really need to present yourself as a worker as a worker who is not ashamed before God. And for us, that means that I need to first present myself to God. And secondly, I need to see myself as a worker. And thirdly, I need to present myself as unashamed, a vessel that God is able to fill up and use. And we'll cover that part of it next week. And the last thing he said this morning is, Timothy, don't get involved in empty, empty chatter because it can even lead to ungodliness in your life. It can lead to the ungodliness in your life. And then he went on to say, listen, Timothy, regardless of what happens, God's word stands. God's word's been sealed. The Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from sin. 